Welcome back to the Brooklyn Poets Yobcast for July 10th, 2023. Featuring poet Benga Adesina leading our workshop and kicking off the open mic. This month's Yop was guest emceed by Darius Phelps. I am Jason Koo, if you don't remember my voice. I am recording this in Sao Paulo, Brazil, where I am on vacation, which is why our good man Darius, one of our new assistant managers at 144 Montague Street, was our guest MC in the month of July and did a fantastic job. This month's open mic lineup featured Thomas H., Shane Wagner, Garrett Miller, Naomi Brenman, Anne Herendine, Sienna Wills, Pau Ahimsa, Nicole Alexander, Incia Taj, Hunter Hodkinson, Alexis Dibbs, Madeline Phillips, Michael Cohen, Megan Gwilt, Kayla Schwab, Mark Weissman, Andy Chan, Kristen Staten, Samuel Wu, Mox Trussell, and last but not least, Winston Chang. All right. So let's get right to the action. I'm excited to listen to this myself because I haven't listened to it yet. The Broken Poets Yop Open Mic for July 10th, 2023. Enjoy. All right. Hi, everyone. Welcome again to our monthly Yop. I am your host and MC of the night, Darius Phelps, assistant manager here at Brooklyn Poets. Let's give our future workshop reader, Bingo, a round of applause one more time. All right, thank you. And the poems read were phenomenal. Looking forward to hearing more of that very soon. All right, we're going to go for some quick open mic guidelines. Open mic readers can read one poem for a minute of three, for a max of three minutes. And just as a heads up, every month we vote on the poem of the month, the Yacht Poem of the Month, by choosing one poem. I would like to ask you all very gently if you could please wait till the end of the open mic to vote by texting us the poet's name to the number 718-374-1953. And just as a gentle reminder, Please vote only once, only once. <laughs> yes, and the number, I'll say it one more time. 718-374-1953. And as a reminder, please vote only once. And if you're not here, don't tell your friends and family to vote. That's cheating. <laughs> we will know. Um, with the Yacht Poem of the Month, the 12 winners of the Poem of the Month over the course of the year will face off in our Poem of the Year contest in early December. Every month, we record the open mic as a podcast that we publish as the Yachtcast. If you do not want to be on the recording, please notify me after we are done and we can edit you off the recording, okay? All right, so we're going to go ahead and get this started, so let's... Welcome Binga back to the stage. He's going to read, and then after that, we will kick off officially our open mics. Let's welcome Binga back to the stage. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Alrighty, so I'm going to read you 
just three poems. I was sort of surprised, but also not surprised, that most people's response poems were parents' poems, right? Because, you know, parents, they sort of fuck you over, you know? <laughs> and you sort of spend all your life trying to come to terms with that, right? You know? And, and, but I heard a couple of poems also about children, you know, for those who want to have kids, so that it's, it's like this chain of life, and you want to be healed before you move on, you want to be healed before you have your own kids and things like that. Anyway, I'm going to be reading you parent poems, just because you guys um, inspired that. I will just read you three poems. They are parent poems, maybe father poems, who knows? We'll find out, okay? This is called Glory. Glory of plums, female of glory. Glory of ferns on the dark platter. Glory of willows. Glory of stag beetles. Glory of the long obedience of the kingfisher. Glory of water birds. Glory of thirst. Glory of the Latin of the dead and their grammar composed entirely of decay. Glory of the eyes of my father, which, when he died, closed inside his grave and opened even more brightly inside me. Glory of dark horses running furiously inside their own dark horses. Alrighty, righty, righty, righty. Parent poems. This one is called, I Carried My Father Across the Sea. He was a child. He was dead. He was the shaft of a long-tailed astrapia. He was a forest of bruise. He wore a door on his face. He wore the black suit of his wedding. The square pocket was still full of his vows. It was light to carry. His burdens and vows had bled out of him. He was heavy with the responsibility of the dead. What sort of a son leaves his father's body chained to fatherhood? I lifted and propped him up with my frame. I measured the length of him with my length. The feet stuck in sea sand, his weak knees, his arms gripped my sides. As the current rose, the collar on his broken neck flared into a float. The gash, the surgeon's knife left on his head signaled like a halo in the dark. I put my nose to his nose. I put my finger in his mouth. I tied his ivy tubes, now a human gill, around our waist and swam in the vein of the water. Luke, a sphinx in the waves, said, a son carries a father. Death is not silence. It is where I hear you most clearly. What sort of a son leaves his father's body chained to the dark grievance inside the earth? I carried my father on my back. 
I felt the bracing inside his afterlife heart on the skin of my spine. He wore his face as a door he promised to open to me. He bled out his vows. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Alrighty, so this last one is called Surrender. It's a longish poem, but we're gonna do it. I think it flows, okay, Surrender. And I think it's a New York poem, but you're never sure, you know. Surrender. A mercy puts a thing on my palm, and it's my childhood. It's tiny, endless moth city, it's rind like grace or tenderness or sorrow. In the red brick room, my father cries. His cries are small, lonely animals. I carry them with me like an inheritance. Once I ran out of a room because the song on the radio was a feast in the nook of my neck. I stood on the street quietly weeping, though when a woman said to me, child, are you well? I said it was the waters within me that wanted to make themselves known. Some nights are like that. They do not let you go until they are broken into the secret July in your heart where you hide all things. All I wanted was to be home, so I dipped myself under the earth by which I mean I entered the subway station. It was there I heard him, a man that was also a sound. He was singing. Tree branches broke inside his voice. There was in his chorus the quietude of a thing that was coming to an end. The song he was singing, he said it was not a dirge, though he sang it to a thing that was dying. Wishing away was the kind of song my father sang as he lay dying. My father said his song was not a dirge, though he sang it to a thing that was dying in himself. He said, son, my song is a joy, but a joy with sharp knives. So my laughter is a thing with a sharp edge, and my joy a trembling. This man I saw, his locks of hair, which ran down to his neck, were the visible borders of a country that was inside him. And the sound he made was the secret language of a nation unto which immigrants were called. It was as though I had sliced through the ocean and arrived here only to run into my childhood. And I did not want to make myself open, but I was made open for certain songs. Do not ask your permission. I raised my hands and moved toward him, naked before the song. I said, dear music, dear childhood, take me, take me. Thank you. All right, folks, let's, let's keep it going. One more time for Binga. That was phenomenal. I don't know about... <laughs> I don't know where that came from. <laughs> I don't know about you, but after that, I think I need a little bit more wine. Yeah, that kind of hit me in the gut. All right, let's go ahead and get it started with our open mic portion. So just as one last reminder... Please do not 
text until the end and open mic readers you have you can read run one poem up to three minutes max our first reader of the night is thomas h let's give it up for thomas Hello, can everybody hear me? Yeah. Okay, I'm Thomas. Um, I also have a New York City poem. Um, it's just called July 4th. It is fuck America day and the whole city has been hung with smoke. The street lights are desperate to escape themselves and getting nowhere while a boy and I bathe in the fireworks. I swear, it's like they're not even trying to touch the stars anymore. Now I have them up against the window, practically in the street but all the lights are off. I've always wanted the idea of exhibitionism without any of the risk, to taste the barrel of an unloaded gun. It's here now, and I should be enjoying myself, yet I'm staring at the tree stump on the border of my front lawn again. Tonight, it has a human face. I'm getting close, closer, but it remains as silent as the earth. After I finish, I realize that what I mistook for two eyes and a mouth was nothing more than a peculiar arrangement of spotted lanternflies clinging to the dead wood, preparing to tear the city apart. They don't know where they belong or what they're doing here. They're spotted red and white, but missing the blue. I'm still getting used to the idea that something so beautiful can be so deadly. Y'all are really already killing it tonight. Let's keep it going. Up next. All right, Winston, go ahead. Keep it going. <laughs> Up next, we have Shane Wagner. So welcome, Shane. This is called Daughter Healthy. You get hooked on ideas like daughter, like healthy, you don't want to know the sex just as long as it's healthy. Then, when your first child isn't healthy and the disease only affects boys, you want to know the sex. And the test says female, and you think daughter, and you think healthy. You sneak into the room at night, and you hold your breath, listening to make sure they're still breathing. You watch their chest rise and fall, and you're hooked. You hear about a gender reveal party on the news, and you think they should wait until the kid is 14. After two years, three surgeries, four separate eight-day hospital stays, nine chemotherapy infusions, and you don't remember how many CT scans, your doctor says, remission, and you feel healthy but it's hard to get comfortable and you don't want to let yourself get hooked. And you see your neighbor walking down the block, one of many friends and neighbors who brought food and sent love when you were sick and she asks how you're doing and you say remission. And she says, great. And you say, how are you guys? And she says, not good. And cancer. And Julie, her 13-year-old daughter. Same age as your daughter. They take the bus to school together, but Julie hasn't been on the bus. 
Soon she will start an aggressive, impatient chemo regime. And after a long talk and tears and a hug, you say, please let me know if there's anything you need. And she says, keep us in your thoughts. At dinner, you tell your family about Julie, and your daughter confirms she hasn't seen Julie on the bus, but they're not friends. Julie is popular, and your youngest has her earpods in and is always crocheting or reading romance <laughs> novels about trans kids. But either way, we all promise to keep our neighbors in our thoughts. The test said female, and it saved her life because, you know, daughter, healthy, she doesn't have the disease her brother has, and that's good. Having two X chromosomes saved her. But you get hooked on ideas. All right, thank you so much, Garrett. Up next, we have Naomi Brenman. Let's welcome Naomi. Sorry, I thought I was going fourth. I didn't have it ready. <laughs> okay, this poem is called 60 Minutes on the Bathroom Floor, More or Less. And lo, in the beginning I was, and I continued to be until all ended, cold, stiff, supine, cracked, barren, the seas evaporated, plastic the dominant species. 12 o'clock, blinks, blinks on the clock radio, as I press cheek to marble, dry heaving tears that will not. To cry would be to live, and to live to want. Veiled from reality, a mind cracked, barren, hideously and improbably deformed, the shame spreads thick, clonop and heavy. For a billionth of a second, I am the prettiest girl of all time. Time sweeps up after itself, leaves no trace of how many, and I haven't been drinking, have I? All right, and Naomi, Naomi, you were right. I can't count. I'm an English major, so sorry about that. <laughs> Let's welcome Garrett Miller, number three. Sorry about that. Hi, everyone. My poem is about Raymond Radiguet, who was a French literary prodigy who died in 1923, age 20. Raymond's mystery is not the anabasis, which is the cold transcendence of the work. He contains nothing hobnailed or serried. His chest is exposed and unburned, and his eyes are dark and unmutinous beneath the heavy brows that almost touch. Almost touch, it is a diminution, a vanishing through the defiles of the page, escape from a weir of words, a passing through. It is not the vanishing in perspective of a ship. It is canola, cornflowers, a wooden cross that fixes by an ancient road a child's dream of life. Thank you, Garrett. Up next, we have a BKP regular, our very own Anne Herendine. No story. The story is there is no story. 
no plot. My fantasy Odysseus isn't coming home. The tapestry unpicks itself at night, will never be finished. The imaginary suitors slink away. I won't be choosing any of them. No matter how many times I pull the switch, summon lightning bolts and flash strobe lights, the composite corpse lies flat, flat lines. All those graves robbed for a load of compost. This terminator won't reassemble. Nuts and bolts and screws rolling away from each other, lost behind the bookcase, under the couch, stuck in the cat vomit. Nothing to see here. The puzzle makes no picture. There are no edge pieces, no frame, just bits of me flaking off, unraveling one thread at a time, transmuting molecule by molecule, solid to liquid to gas, expanding into space, all the openings with no hatches to lock, no doors, no bonds. Sometimes you need containers to hold a story, the cork in the bottle, the period at the end, or it's jar lids and bottle tops and caps, bra straps, pull tabs, handles, no handles, doorknobs, scissors, knives, tongs, ladles, metro card swipes, zippers, toothpaste tubes, tape, foot cream, loose hairs, soap scum, over and over, the many things the fox knows drip off me like sweat, like spit in the sink, like piss when you poop. And there's always another one, always more. And I envy the hedgehog curled in its spiny ball, the circle complete, while the many, many things dribble my life away in dead skin, toenail shreds, tears and nosebleeds and dust mites, tick, 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 seconds and minutes and hours, and not one big thing has ever possessed me. Thank you, Anne. That was phenomenal as always. Up next, we have Sienna Willis. Let's welcome Sienna. Hello, all. It's been a long time since I've been at a podium. My name is Sienna. Didn't introduce myself before. Um, the title of my poem is called In My Heart Is My Only House Unless It Rains. It's a play on words uh, from a Captain Beefheart song. It's like my chest is a door and my heart is the inside of my home. I keep the door shut tight most of the time. But every once in a while, I hear a knock and I open it, up, I open it upon discovering an unexpected guest. Sometimes they come in, they stay a while. They rest their feet on my table and eat my food. I don't mind because I like the company. Then they leave and they usually take a piece of my home, whether it be a knick-knack, 
a book or a piece of furniture leaving chaos in its place. I always repeat this mistake as we simple humans do. We all repeat mistakes at some point in our lives and we expect different outcomes every time we do, only to get disappointed again and again. Sometimes we learn, but most of the time it's the grasp of the unknown outcome that keeps us in this habitual cycle. So when I hear the next knock at the door, I run to get it even though I still haven't replaced the last item that was stolen and I get comfortable again. Only this time my guest stays too long and I decide I need my space and I don't like their feet on my table. Once again they leave, but not before taking something else from me. I've repeated this cycle more times than I care to recall. Now my home is empty except for one chair and the chaos they never get to leave, forget to leave behind. After spending some time alone in my empty space for a while, I hear another knock. I hesitate this time. I let my guests into my home, but they don't seem to care that I have no furniture left. I have nothing to offer them except a glass of tap water and, of course, my chair. Being the selfless person I choose to be, I offer my only chair and let them sit down. I stand while they sit, and I am pensive. I am nervous. I am in this barren room with my guests, just hoping that when they leave, they only take my cup, not my last piece of furniture. What is this person going to do? Are they going to stick around and watch me slowly replace what I've lost? Are they going to help me put up shelves? Are they going to go to Ikea with me and help me pick out a new bed? Or is this person going to piss in my cup and take my chair and leave? I think it's up to me to decide what this person will do. And it is up to me to make peace within my home. I have gotten quite used to the space. It brings a calm that the chaos cannot fill. Ooh, that last line, it brings a calm that the chaos cannot fill. Damn. All right, let's keep it going. Up next, we have a BKP regular, Pow Ahimsa. Let's welcome Pow. Hello. Brooklyn Poets, what a great place. Um, I almost wrote a love poem. From this almost love, I've almost completely moved on, yet there are times I still miss you and wonder, do you ever think what could have been? I've dated here and there since, no one really understands though, punk rock, simpatico, magic, music, metaphorical, soul, truth, is we were both born from chaos. Your father a drug dealer, mine a crooked cop, would be funny if they knew each other. Maybe why we connected the dots and the lines and the maps of our bruises and scars we knew the only place that life, that light can enter via paintings, poems, and songs. Each story we shared, still shattered, broken or broken open, we understood like few others. I don't know if I ever loved you and I'm not saying you should have either. Maybe all we ever did was cross paths. Maybe that's all human beings ever do. I just wanted you to know there was a time I would have done anything for you, yet you, you emancipated me, 
more than once. And these days with this freedom, strange that I hardly feel free. No matter what, I really wish the best for you. I hope the world never breaks you. We met in this life, then departed. I let you go, yet somehow I'm still carrying this bond we shared. And as the centuries roll by, like sailing ships over waves of incarnations and faraway earth, in a realm yet undiscovered where nothing good is ever destroyed or lost, here your heart will forever be my cage and you the sole user and keeper of me. Thank you. All right, up next we have Nicole Alexander. Hi, I'm Nicole, uh, also a New York poem. This is called UES. Every kid in the Upper East Side is walking beside a woman of color, and I want to be one of them. <laughs> in a glimpse, I could see my own life through the eyes of a nine-year-old drenched in care, a candy they're yet to realize is right there for them to taste. I dream of a chandelier crystallized with luck and good fortune in the home I work in. Things I'm yet to imagine revealing themselves to me while I make a quiet snack of smoked salmon, the golden package gracing marble countertops. If I could just have a crumb of farmer's market fresh focaccia, it could all be mine. The 10-foot ceilings, the 86-inch closet towers, the skyline, clear and bright. And when I walk with Parker through the pearly gates of Lexington Avenue, Santa Claus will no longer be an urban legend, but a man who grants wishes to the ones least deserving of them. After all, seeing is believing. <laughs> We are only number eight in, and y'all are straight up killing it tonight. So let's give Nicole another round of applause, because damn, that was good. Up next, number nine, we have Insignia Taj. Let's welcome Insignia. Hello. All right, this is called Instructions for a Hypochondriac. When the mole blooms on your left arm with the grace of an oil spill, don't panic. Admire its crinkled edges, this origami of aging. Your body is a sanctuary until it isn't. You'll be 17 soon, driving down Rock Creek Parkway, listening to Alex Turner sing about going back to 505, skinny legs littered with mosquito bites. The mole is a quick thief. You'll stare and stare and stare at your left arm as the radio wails, ignoring your trembling hands and the broken green glass scattered across the road. The front tire deflates like a defective lung. Don't think about your brother's lung, the golf ball-sized tumor that built shelter inside of his chest. For a year, you'll refuse to look at your father's golf clubs, 
the metal rods hanging like specters in the garage. Your mother will stage normalcy and push you to perform life, swimming and volunteer work at the library. She invents errands, a desire for strawberry cake and a new bottle of nail polish. You'll crumple inside of a suburban Target, clutching OPI's Big Apple Red because the shade matches the color of his chemo port. In college, a zealous sophomore bites your breasts too hard in a moment of peach vodka-fueled passion. The bruise spreads across your chest like a ballet of blood along a vein. You'll wait for him to leave before researching erythema, cellulitis, MRSA. Your body is desirable until it isn't. Weep to your best friend. Let her apply aquaphor. Don't miss your mother. Don't calculate how much of adulthood you'll orchestrate into ruin. Dr. Bisco calls it wading through grief. You'll argue, but no one died. You're mourning yourself, he says, as if speaking about a prized collectible, the person you once were, by which he means you used to be fearless. Later, you'll graduate from the Department of Biology and fly to Thailand with friends. Gorge yourself on fresh pineapple and cow soy like it's your last meal. In CoPP, a handsome Australian challenges you to jump off of a cliff into the Andaman Sea. You shock your sandals. You hear your father's voice, steadier than a heartbeat. Be brave, be brave, be brave. Thank you. I feel like this job should be retitled to like survival of the fittest because y'all are definitely <laughs> bringing the heat tonight. Let's see if our very own Hunter Hodgkins, Hodgkinson can keep it going. Come on, you guys can do better than that. Give Hunter a better round of applause. Hi everyone, my name's Hunter. Um, I'm currently taking a class with Gregory Crosby about, yes, we love, about apocalypse poems. Um, so our prompt for the past week was to write a poem about climate change. So I was wondering, you know, what, it, was it, what is it like for someone to experience uh, houselessness as well as climate change? So I decided to write a poem from the perspective of a houseless person um, experiencing climate change. So it's called Houseless on a Planet That Can No Longer House Us. The eviction slip was brighter than the sun. 30 days. I was on the streets by July, the hottest summer in 100 years. I camped out on subways and walked grocery store aisles aimlessly to escape the heat. I laid in park fountains until exile, staving off stroke with the only antidote available. Rain was joyous. There was no need for umbrellas. I took exactly what Earth gave me. I had no choice in the matter. I was living in a house that was already on fire. Ignited by the people who ignored my cries for change, inflamed by gasoline piss streams descending from the towers of Wall Street, 
I learned to survive like an endangered species, not one worth saving, but one you forgot existed until it was gone. It was the pigeon that saved me the day I collapsed, parched beyond possible, one-legged and curious, pecking my forehead. It led me into the grass, around a tree, to its bird bath. It sat on the branch above, cooing me to drink. I knelt and tasted its world, a world so similar to mine. Thank you. All right, thank you, Hunter. Up next, we have another very uh, BKP regular. We have Arthur Russell. Let's give it up for Arthur Russell. Is Arthur here tonight? I didn't. I guess he slipped. Oh, all right. Well, psych. Let's give it up for Alexis Dibbs. <laughs> I was next. Um, my name is Alexis. Uh, today, I so typically I read poems about romantic love. Today, I am reading a poem about a platonic love, entitled "Here's a poem to the first burn of the season." Here's a poem to the first burn of the season, taking place not at Coney Island Beach, but during short King Spring sitting on the bench for four hours, taking in the overwhelming similarities of favorite flowers and forming friends at the prime age of 25. Unsure if trust is earned or given, sitting here on the bench thinking what a sunny day today turned out to be for a forecast of rain, thinking of how much more fun this is than going on dates with future disappointments, how I'm pretty sure that neither of us thought to put on sunblock today. I guess each other's presence is the layer of protection, even if never explicitly said. The universe knows best of what's needed, and <clears throat> sorry, and when and as such, I will gladly coexist in third spaces, write our silly little hearts away in odes to predators and sonnets to wannabe lovers, crisp ears crafting and carefully curating poems about crushes and friends, and scoping out jazz spot outings for potential future outings and innings and committing to the bit of pretending conspiracy theories are real like the hologram in the sky that odds are none of us have ever seen in real life onto the next burn of the season. As you fill me in on pop culture analogies to which you know I'll never understand the reference, thanks for helping guide the way that time the butterfly landed on my face for finding all the seashells at shore. <laughs> While I'm fully submersed in New York City's finest water, looking down every time you do that thing with your hands. I will forever dress up for your themed endeavors, taking oat to kill any bug that enters into our home, burn the books if it means safety. We'll make s'mores from the flame. I'm here to stay. I'm here to put out the fires of first of the season, formerly red, now a beautiful tan from sitting directly in the sun's path. I wouldn't have it any other way. Laying on Coney Island's beach with our toes buried in the sand, reciting tidbits from the neighborhoods we grew up in, thankful for the trains of each other's thoughts we've yet to understand but I understand. To the girly who wrote a line in a poem the day after she met me, I quote something along the lines of living in New York City and feeling lonely until you find your place. 
and pace and your space. And I'm glad Brooklyn Poets found me your way. Thank you. All right, Alexis, I see how you do. You're tugging at our heartstrings with that one. <laughs> up next, we have one of our very own regulars and past featured readers. Let's give it up for Madeline Phillips. Lucky number 12. Um, okay, does anyone not know what a whale fall is? Okay, cool. I'm trying to figure out if this poem needs like an epitaph, and I guess it does. So a whale fall is when a whale dies and it sinks to the bottom of the ocean and forms like a whole new ecosystem for like years. So this poem is called Whale Fall. Sorry, my Norton antivirus. Okay. Whale Fall. I'm so afraid I'll miss it. Year end sale train to work, electric bill due date, the great baleen whale whose song scores my dreams night after night after night, its tail flicking so close to my face, I wake up with scratches and remember tasting plankton blooms, Morton table salt, popsicles my mom and I used to make from concentrate. I'm so afraid I'll miss it. Cool script concept, call for submissions, affordable studio apartment all to myself, a whale sighting in waking life. I want to make eye contact with a mammoth, move through that hot blow of bacteria. I hear it feels like taking a shower, blissful as a kiss I never had in a fountain at pride. I'm so afraid I'll miss it. First femme date, organic threesome. I love you at the end of a phone call. The minky whale you already saw at the beach with your son, full breach. I was not there that day or the day he was born. Morning after morning after morning, you never want to hear my dreams. But sometimes I wake up to him waving at me from behind your back. This mattress, the one from your failed marriage, is our whale fall. Its soft tissue enriches all three of us. This bed frame could support our blended limbs for years to come. I'm so afraid I'll miss it. Fertility window, wedding I don't want. Spare moments to write a will. The meaning behind doing dishes in the belly of a dead whale in a dream, but then I notice the free edge waxing white again, the stray ends splitting. The fates in my fingernails and follicles will keep weaving their keratin long after I'm dead. There's no way I'll miss it. This breath, the next, my life, the echo of a dead whale's song, its phantom heartbeat a pulsar, keeping time with the space hum of dung beetles, black holes, and the night your father took your mother to the pier instead of her graduation party. There was supposed to be a whale in the harbor. She thought he was going to end things. Instead, he offered her a ring. She said yes, but 
they never saw a whale. Thank you. All right, y'all, keep it going. Up next, we have Michael Cohen. Let's welcome Michael to the stage. Good evening. It's great to see everyone. Um, with very short notice, my wife and I are packing to uh, leave. We have to move by next Wednesday from an apartment we've been in for 35 years. It's going to be okay on the other side. We're moving to another apartment. But uh, we've been there 35 years, and I had years of stuff before that. So this poem uh, is being written as I'm reading it to you. And I've been reading it, re written it over the last two days. Um, it's called Packing to Move in five parts. Part one, I took this photo of a painting through an art gallery window in Geneva in 1996. A simple painting of a woman who reminded me of her. I had asked a price which was unaffordable as consultation, con as consolation. I had the photo enlarged in New York and beautifully framed. It was as we were, only a reproduction. I had forgotten the photo, and I can barely remember her face at all. Two, the sketch of the white birch remains as quiet and grief-driven and stricken as when I stood in the deep woods and wept. Three, he gave me this book before driving me across the bridge in Budapest to her small studio apartment. Four, during a snowstorm in Paris, I bought this hat in a shop in the underground mall under the Louvre. Five, I think about her singing, Tell Old Bill, with short blonde cropped hair and a 12-string guitar, and me next to her, strumming a $10 pawn shop special in a cafe. I was 17 years old. And not one who thinks back and says, these were the best years of my life. It is simply a sweet and hopeful memory. The world and our lives were right there, and death was right there, and also so far away. These songs of real people. For not so long along was our lives. Her voice had a death that she had no right to, really. None of us had lived that long. But she really had it, and perhaps so did I. You twist a boy, a young man, his vision of the next chapters of life, of what he's seen and read, and all the trips to the cemetery with his mother and sister, and it fuses into a rope that's linked to the center of the world and connects everything through the earth like a root. And when I was seven, and the oak tree root cracked the slate sidewalk on my street in South Yonkers, it was as gigantic as plates shifting under a fault line and changing the fate of continents. And the way she sang about the grief of Bill's wife has soothed me over a thousand sleepless nights. I wrote a poem about her 30 years ago, and it's in a little book I just found. And I misspelled her name, really. And someday, someday, I'll send it to her. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. That was beautiful. Up next, we have Zoe Selictar. 
So, are you in the house? So, so in the back? Yes? No? Going once? Going twice? All right, next we have Megan Quilt. Let's welcome Megan to the stage. Hi, sorry, I'm still reeling over Lex writing that poem. It was about me, I'm claiming it. Um, it, it was my birthday on Friday, I turned 24. Um, thank you. And so this is a poem I wrote about the last year of my life. It's called The Year I Spent with the Nervous Shits. <laughs> on my 23rd birthday, I made my New Year's resolution. 23 would be the year of fear. I was going to do everything that scared me, and I could scream or cry or shake the whole time, but I couldn't turn around. It was a year of zip lines and high ropes, gripping my harness for dear life. 23 years is not enough lived. It was a year of leaving the house and wearing that outfit, a year of doing things alone. I found myself all over New York City, seeing shows, eating dinner, having, hearing poetry, sharing my own. At 23, my favorite phrase became, table for one, please. I tried everything. I almost threw up, and I cried until my eyes were swollen and sore, but I did it. And in between the tears and shits and new adventures, I remembered. Remembered the night I was freed from my gilded cage, just two weeks from my new year, and for the first time in seven years I was on my own. Remembered the gnawing fear of my new future with just me. The gnawing fear of the freedom to soar but not knowing where to go. Wandering New York City like Amelia Earhart, marooned, all alone, waiting for the coconut crabs to claim what's theirs. I remembered the feeling of stretching my wings for the first time in nearly a decade. Shaking off the insecurity someone else felt at the sight of their splendor and taking in the beauty of how much they'd grown despite constant attempts to clip them shorter, to keep them modest so I don't outshine his. I remembered the desire to fold myself up again, to return to my cage and live where I'm comfortable, make myself smaller, keep the attention elsewhere. I remember being afraid to leap. And there, on the precipice of my mid-twenties, the precipice of my first solo year, on the precipice of my adulthood, I decided to shed the baggage for good, to live in a state of fear instead of complacency, to love myself the way he never could. As I leapt headfirst into my future, I promised myself I'd never forget the feeling of flight. I'd be scared and I'd grow. I'd shit my pants if I needed to because, damn it, I will never hide again. And the year delivered. It gave me everything it had. I faced things I'd only seen in my worst nightmares and came out on the other side stronger, wiser, and kinder. I learned more than I had in four years of college, discovering I'm actually a lot of fun, learned not all soulmates are romantic, learned I'm someone worth remembering outside of the people I choose to date, learned I am resilient and strong, learned I love eating alone. And then I turned 24. For the record, Megan, the 20s suck ass. But I've been told that the 30s are better, and I'm turning 31, so talk to me in about five years. <laughs> but that was amazing as usual. Up next, we have our very own Kayla Swab. Hello. Yo, Winston, chill, bro. It's fine. It's fine. I was just like, where is it coming from? I want to know who to pay attention to. 
Um, hello. Um, I wrote this poem after seeing the Alex Katz exhibit at the Guggenheim. I printed out the piece, but it looks really shitty because my printer's not good. But anyway, it's very different from most of his work, if you're familiar with his work, and it just made me feel something, so I wrote this. Uh, it's called Buoyancy. Alex Katz, Ocean 9, 2022. I find peace floating, inky eyelids backlit by sun, eardrums thumping, body still, moved by water. Water is light and weight in motion. Like a smile, it's difficult to construct the perception artificially. I wish to wade through life artificially, to balance light and weight with a tilt of the head. So heavy my head, takes 20 muscles to hold it up and 43 to smile. But the water reminds me, reminds me, there is more heaviness still. Not everything floats, most slips below the surface. Moments slip away so quickly, so how can we stay? Memories bubble and rise like algae, starving for light. As light bends, memories distort. We cling to moments long gone, drowning in the density of impermanence. There's impermanence in every body of water, as well as predictability. Prepare for the swell. A swell can't be reconstructed, but this memory will hold you, your light and weight ever in motion. Thanks. All right, thank you, Kayla. Up next, we have Christiana Riley. Christiana, are you here? Yes, no, going once, going twice. Sold to Mark Wiseman. Let's give Mark a round of applause. All right, thanks so much, Parrish. Um, thank you, Binga, as well. Thank you, everyone. What a, what a great night. Um, so um, in this poem, each line is a stanza. So just imagine that. Um, it's crazy how quickly things have changed, uh, quickly things get dated. Used to take Ubers and Lyfts, and now they're just <clears throat> way too expensive. So this is, um, I think, a New York poem. I think so. Um, I've really wanted to share it with you, with Brooklyn Poets, so here we go. Thank you for riding with Jesus. <laughs> Yesterday I wrote a poem about a pie shop that closed. I got no response from the proprietor. I almost said proprietor, but what are you gonna do with that? There are dad jokes and mom jokes and more to life and less. I really don't need Google Docs questioning my grammar in a poem. It doesn't get the gist. If I had all day, I would stop referring to myself and spit out mathematics. Language is all we've got, but still. By now, the bok choy completely wilted. I don't blame them in this heat. To think of all the meteors 
that had to come here to deliver their minerals and whatnot. Too lazy to look it up, but you know what I mean. <laughs> I know gossip and home prices in Brooklyn are important. Sometimes they interest me too. Why does every meal have to be a feast? Such presumption will be here this time tomorrow. I think of that song, it's emotional anvil, amplified by Wes Anderson, whose films contrive a fantasy of familial depth, reconciliation, revelation, framed in visual puns and privilege, I suppose, and yet, didn't know that song if not for the soundtrack. I must lay out a plan for everything, everything. We're riding home in Jesus's SUV because the subway's unsafe this time because of virus or fungi or guns or stairs or gunk-rich stalactites. We spent a small fortune on meals and cars this week. You can't tell anyone anything about raising a child. They have to do it for themselves have to eat their own failures, and those are the lucky ones, the ones who could see past the minute by minute. And that's disingenuous. We know we've got to. The sun is at my toes. Soon, this seat will fry. What I do for a slice of pie right now, nothing really. I'm not going to heal the world with extra pillows. We ate duck three ways last night. The leftovers fill our fridge. Our bowls are crania. I will taketh from it all. I will will myself to eat in reasonable portions. Just kidding. <laughs> I will live in a city forever, suck the water from the upstate reservoirs, the energy of the dinosaurs, the Taco Bell in the sky. I'll make it to next weekend, pour out my carbon, jet back to Asia, see you there. Clouds are rolling in possible drizzle starting in nine minutes, stopping five minutes later. Thank you very much. All right, thank you, Mark. Up next, we have Andy Chan. Hello. So some of you know me for desserts already, and so today I'm going to be talking about a wedding cake for every relationship. Um, and it just goes, soon to be wed on a Wednesday afternoon, but I knew I had to call off our engagement the moment I saw with the way you cut our wedding cake. Back and forth, back and forth, rigged with crumbling rigidity. You don't know how to handle me, let alone yourself. With the way you cut our wedding cake, it was as if it was a day-old stale sourdough bread. Back and forth, back and forth, crusty with gritty granularity. I had to call off our engagement, for I foresaw 40 years of funerals. Beginning with our first honeymoon, full of fresh forever honeydew, tiptoeing into infinite tendus, dipping my words in bloody fondue, I will not undo my grace for you to expect me to fawn you, which I am actually allergic to, all for the sake of you not knowing how to talk about your own issues. This wedding cake is now mine to symbolize the unionship between myself and I for codependency is not my attachment style. And now I make them panic. They think I'm satanic. Like, please, what is there to argue when I walk into another venue with a menu numbered 1 to 92 full of somebody's issues? You can't elope with a cantaloupe that's unripe 
Don't you dare tell me that's your type. I ask, is this truly what you want? Well, it's your choice to chew on what you want to choose. And am I projecting or am I protecting you? Thank you. All right. Thank you, Andy. Up next, we have Kristen Stainton. Kristen, are you in the building? Yes. All right. Here we go. Give it up for Kristen. Hi. Um, okay, so this is my ode to the rat at the community garden. <laughs> Under the willow that wept for you in fluttering green tears, I noticed you curled into yourself. Your tiny furless foot and dainty curled claws wrapped your still pink nose. So many flies were already intent on consuming you. I thought you were dead. But as I watched the flies crowd your face and fight for your right eye, I found your rapid, minuscule breaths. Your wiry brown fur sank into your toothpick ribs over 100 times in one minute. I watched and counted and looked up if animal control would do anything. And then, 20 minutes after I first saw you, you shook your head and the flies dispersed. Your left eye opened. You didn't see me. Your long, scaled tail dragged behind you as you gathered any energy left within your cells to drag your little body two steps toward the wood pile dappled in afternoon gold-green light. I'm sorry. There's nothing I can do for you. I'm sorry. You must resign to wait for death to come. I wish there were a plug I could pull for you. And if I thought myself capable of merciful killing, I might have lifted a pathway stone to smash your fragile skull. I am wicked to let you suffer and to watch. You tucked yourself. Uh, I just got a job alert. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> you tucked yourself into the pile of yellowed elm leaves and waited. How long will your agony take? I don't know if I can bring myself to come back here tomorrow to check on you. At least you will die in this garden instead of a dark trash bag. Perhaps I will come back in one week and your small corpse will be gone and I can pretend you are miraculously cured and scurried away. Y'all are really pulling at my heartstrings tonight. I need another glass of wine. Um, <laughs> let's keep it moving. Up next, we have Samuel Wu. Let's welcome Samuel to the stage. Hi, y'all. Um, I'm Sam. This kind of let me let me do this. Uh, is anybody here from Sacramento? Close, but you're not from Sacramento? Okay, this, this poem is, is, is for the girlies from Sacramento, but it's okay, it's okay. I'm not from Sacramento, and we're talking shit on them. All right. This is an open letter to Joan Didion. Joan Didion. Fuck you, Joan. 
Out of all the writers in California, we get the one from Sacramento. I cannot remember the last time I even thought about Sacramento. And I know you take pride in that. Anybody who talks about California hedonism has never spent a Christmas in Sacramento. Yeah, who the fuck spends Christmas in Sacramento? All those memories you fear are going somewhere far. Yet pick a road, any road. Drive away, drive far, you'll end up in the same place. All roads do not lead to Sacramento, but all Sacramento roads feed into itself. Dry winds cementing the elders to the retirement. Be honest, have you ever seen a young person in Sacramento? Let me tell you what I mean. When I speak of that California hedonism, I speak of the gluttonous summer desire in the eyes of every person I know, the chatter of high schoolers who couldn't care less about LA's sunset, people who don't give two shits about the Griffith Observatory. Hell, even the gentrifier pushing food licenses and vegan tacos. Talk about hedonism. Hedonism is welcome here. The Virgin Mary looking pleasantly over the drunkard in the streets. Welcome home, my son. Sleep amongst the flowers where a man will tell you that a red rose has grown up out of the concrete. He points to the ground. We look, dumbass, expecting some miracle to sprout out of the ground. No flower grows. New people, you say, remain ignorant of a special history, insensible to the hardships endured to make it, blind not only to the dangers that the place still presented, but to the shared responsibilities of its continued habitation. Is there something to be said that one generation of people from Lakewood did what took your family five? Don't downplay the hurt in your face. I know the gold veins that run through your hands, the silt remembering a less industrial age, the one your grandparents knew. Ironically, in being the most Californian of us all, you've marked yourself a fraud. Your river runs dry, but cut the flowers with Nancy. I know you'll find a place for it. Next to essays on Charles and housewives from Berkeley, slouch towards Bethlehem. California bids you well. Thank you. All right, thank you, Sam. We have about three more open mic readers. Up next, is it Max Trisez? Mox. Mox, sorry, Mox, apologies. Mox, let's welcome Mox to the stage. the Black Door that's written after Ann Lauterbach. Um, full disclosure, I took a lot of her best lines out of the poem, so it's a little bit stolen. Um, one, an ode for the chorus, bottlenecked. Gather the vowels, you upstart ferryman punting the sticks. Can we let the dead in? Are their bones set? Were they log jammed in memory as pilots, as siphons? Did they lose sensation? Too many questions spoil the poem. The poet as worker is a scab. Poems queue up with the dead, murmuring though the dead's deafness is well established. They slip into symbiosis, a suture, frail longing, the coda. Can the chorus carry a tune? Can the dead even keep time? Poem, are you listening? Had Orpheus tongued half a Xanax, they might have made it. But what then of feeling? What then of the horror of release, the day you can't unsing loss? If only we could splice grief and ease, mourn a numbing dagger, sink feet into concrete even as feathers press out of scapular planes, 
The good queued up with the not so good as the wheat and the chaff are shuffled. Though both have horizontal pupils, goats are born skeptics and lambs are just lambs. The ferryman is a neutral party, not to be mixed up in the project of redemption. If the dead ascend on a grow grain ribbon, an incantation on their lips, would you tell me? Or do they just slur their words and slide sideways into the ditch of the corporeal? Not to confuse personal anxiety with an axiom of belief. Oh, I used to be a regular at a bar. <laughs> Whoops. Uh, I used to be a regular at a bar with shower curtains for toilet stalls because the doors were too often fucked with or behind. Uh, <laughs> my Google Docs is fucked up. Oh, I drink $3 beers, kiss and gossip in upswept glances. Meanwhile, meanwhile, the slow ticking of cells prickling the endometrium and a slow pan through the silent interior cut to the Casio keyboard in the living room and the hurricane-flooded car with a salt-balking engine we abandoned on 22. I'm not trying to count lovers, but they're leavings. These epitaphs break down to poorly punctuated stanzas. Is it wrong to eulogize the living? Do we cue them up before their time? The poet as poet is an executioner, slipping a gold coin into their palms, leading them down the road to the ferry. Two, there are countless teeth sucked, singles and plurals, one tongue, many teeth, or one tooth, many tongues. These discrepancies confuse young children whose desire for consistency leads to overgeneralization. First encountering his newborn sister, my son objected, she has no teeth. My grandmother's intubation knocked out her partial bridge and damaged an incisor, and in the last days her proud lips draped over shards. And the two teeth my daughter cut at six months gave her lower gum a cartoonish serrated bite. Applied experimentally to the breast, we might sort through the archive of teeth, their gaps and overlaps, the baby teeth collected as mementos split to the nerves dry root with time, like history. The western slope crisps golden in the sundown, it tastes of sage and azure, I slight the box cutting edge of the sangre de Cristo to, silver, to sliver color down as bats stir against each other's inversions and loop black bodies into the swerve of dusk backstitching the sentient to the dead, the insects to the ponderosa, to the limber pine, to the narrow leaf cottonwood sinking roots for underground water, and busting with seeded fuzz, mammalian snow, limbs and wings pulsating between episodes of cloud. Motion is the gyroscope of the living. We self-serve, we iterate, we watch the valley for a violet flash as gold bleeds out. The dead call to us muted from shut frames. Is writing a lazy truce forestalling numbness? The workaday grit of coping, of flossing, or breeding, or cinching, or flogging, or rinsing the dead from our hands with hot, hot water. The poem is too busy to answer. The poet crosses the picket line to assemble purpose in a through line, attest to an alignment that will become meaning. Do the dead forget our names? We might remind them, honing their regrets as they tend away, stepping over high grass, a black door opening in the night sky. All right, thank you so much, Mox. That was a killer. Last but certainly not least, we have Winston Chiang. Let's welcome Winston. Thanks, Arius. Hey, friends. Um, thank you so much for the workshop. I haven't written poems in a long time, so I'm reading an old one, but that was the first time I've written in a long time. So thank you for the inspiration. Yeah. Um, and we had a bit of a theme about parents. I've, my dad got prostate cancer. He's getting older. I'm just hoping 
this is me speaking from my experience, I found forgiveness. I still work with the things that they gave me and unwind generational traumas, but I get to spend a lot of really good time with my parents and I'm very grateful for it because that does end up, it does end eventually. So um, yeah, I, anyway, that's just me. Um, this poem is called Enlightenment. When we are our vo most vulnerable, we are our most powerful. That terrifies me, a terrible power. But I'm aiming to have a heart full metal, nothing lost, nothing gained. Make lead into gold if you're hard enough, hard working enough, a lot of little things, teeny tiny things done well or done kindly. You know the way. All your past selves have found enlightenment. Palms pressed, prayers for growth, found strength, competence is sexy, check out my hands, rock steady. Look at these beautiful people who love me. I can't even falter, because I can't even fail without being caught by these wondrous pale bearers in case I die unfulfilled, but don't bury me yet, because I love my nose for adventure, lead, sled, dog. I'm taking us places with tenacity, and I love running. My next life will be as awe-inspiring if I remember to open my eyes, take a deep breath, and let it all in. I know who the fam is. I know how we work to get here. I'll lead with my heart and listen to my brain towards the sunset and with all of my game, I won't settle for a goddamn thing. And neither will you. Thank you. All right, y'all, that wraps up the open mic portion of tonight. Let's give it up for all of our open mic readers. I will say I've been a part of this org for over about a year, and I will say this has probably been my favorite yop so far. So many killer poems. It's going to be tough picking that poem of the month. All right, y'all, so just one last final reminder. Please vote only once for one person. Again, that number is 718-374-1953. For those of you guys in the back, the number is on the chalkboard. You may start voting now, but the number is 718-374-1953. I'm going to go over the list of these open mic readers one more time in case you need the names. Up first, we had Thomas H., Shane Wagner, Garrett Miller, Naomi Brenman, Anne Herendine, Sienna Willis, Pal Ahimsa, Nicole Alexander, Encia Taj. Hunter Hodgkinson, Alexis Dibbs, Madeline Phillips, Michael Cohen, Megan Gwilt. You can just send the shit emoji for her poem. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> we love that poem. <laughs> we have Kayla Swab next, Mark Wiseman, Andy Chan. Kristen Stainton, Sam Wu, Mox Trices, 
and last but not least, Winston Chiang. Let's give it up one more time for all of our phenomenal open mic readers. Keep it going for Binga, who killed it as usual. And again, one last time, that number to text to vote is 718-374. Who's talking while I'm talking? Thank you. I am an elementary school teacher, and that does irritate me. All right. <laughs> Let me finish, y'all. I'm almost done. 718-374-1953. You may begin texting now. And just one last final announcement. Next month's YAP will be with the phenomenal Lynn Melnick. That YAP will take place on August 14th, and ticket sales for that begins in about 24 minutes exactly at 9.30. Those will be on Eventbrite. Thank you all so much for making my first solo YAP amazing. I appreciate all of you. And give it up one more time for the phenomenal bingo. All right, y'all, thank you so much. Take care, get home safely, and we will see you soon. All right, there you have it. The Brooklyn Poets Yop for July 10th, 2023. Not hosted or emceed by me. What a delight to listen to Darius Phelps, our young lion of Brooklyn Poets, emceeing his first yop all by himself, uh, which is to say only with the help of interns and not <laughs> with my gentle hand on his shoulder uh, training him as I've been doing the last couple of months. Uh, Darius did a fantastic job, uh, and I'm sure there will be more yops in Darius's future as MC. Thank you to Benga Adesina for leading an amazing Yop workshop and open mic. Uh, if you attended our awards guy last year, know that Benga was the inaugural winner of our Denise Bell Award, which is an award given to uh, the best poet of the week feature on our website featuring a previously unpublished poem. Uh, Benga himself is a young lion of poetry out there. Congrats to... Nicole Alexander, I believe a Yop debuter for winning Yop Poem of the Month in July for her poem UES. Nicole has earned a spot in our Yop Poem of the Year contest in December. We've got that tentatively scheduled for the first Saturday in December on December 2nd. So uh, just a few spots left in this contest. We've got August, we've got September, we've got October, and we've got November because um, the first contestant was picked last December. That's how this contest works. The first of the 12 spots get selected in December. So uh, just a few more yops left in this calendar year leading up to the Yop Home of the Year contest. Our next yop, as Jerry's mentioned at the end of this last yop, is on August 14th. That is a Monday, the second Monday of the month. As usual, it will feature the fabulous Lynn Melnick leading our workshop and kicking off the open mic. If you like what you heard, we'd love it if you'd rate us five stars on iTunes and subscribe to this podcast. It helps more listeners find these amazing poets every month. Uh, if you want to learn more about the op and sign up for the next one, go to brooklynpoets.org. Look under events, and you'll see the op as the first event on the menu. I hope to see you in August. I will be back 
second week of August. My birthday is August 3rd. I'm not going to be doing anything next week, but uh, after that, I will get back to work, at least in person. I've been doing a lot of work behind the scenes, virtually, of course. I can't ever seem to stop working. So, uh, that is all. Uh, in fact, I'm working at 9.57 p.m. in Sao Paulo instead of just kicking back and watching baseball. Uh, the rest of the apartment that I'm in is asleep. <laughs> my wife, my child, her parents, they're all asleep. Okay, that's all. Thanks for listening. I'm Jason Koo. We will see you next time. Thank you.